following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As they're taking off, if you would, open your Bibles. First uh, Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. First Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab an electronic device that has a Bible on it. First um, Peter is in the New Testament, right-hand side of your Bible. And we're looking at the last uh, part of chapter 2. So we're going to be in 18, verse 18, all the way uh, to verse 25. The big numbers in the Bible are the chapters, and the small numbers are the verses, um, in case you didn't know that. Uh, and then if you are totally lost, there's a table of contents. Go ahead and, and search that. It's very front of most books, right? You guys all right this morning? All right, here we go. <clears throat> um, so have you ever pulled into your job or place of employment, or, or if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, have you ever pulled into like um, the driveway and just started praying, like, God, you're going to have to help me get out of the car to go into my place of employment. Have you ever been there? All right. And you just start thinking to yourself, man, I don't feel real well. Maybe I'll just go home today. Right? Uh, or uh, all the excuses start pouring in. And you start praying the, uh, the prayer of the believer, which is, here we go. God, you're going to have to give me something today because there's a good chance that these people in this place might not make it out alive. Right? Amen? <clears throat> okay. We all struggle with work. Work is kind of a, a big deal. And it doesn't matter if you go to a place of work or if your, um, your work is in your home. Uh, we all have kind of this issue. And Peter understands that. And he is going to tackle this for us today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. And he's going to say, hey, listen, I want you guys as believers to see your work uh, and respond properly through the lens of Scripture. And so... We, as believers, when we come to a faith in Christ, we don't look at the world anymore from our eyes. We look at the world through Christ's eyes in the Bible, okay? So it's as if we take our Bible and um, we hold it up and we see through it to see the rest of the world. It's very, very important for us to do that. Specifically, Peter says, in the workplace. Now, we want to put this passage in context and we want to talk through this in context. It is amazing to be in the house uh, this morning and there's no kids. <laughs> like, it's super kind of weird and surreal to me. Last week, um, you talk over them, but I'm going to have to readjust here a little bit. Let me put this in context, okay, of what's transpiring in Peter's day. Again, we're probably about uh, 65 years-ish past when Jesus has uh, ascended. Okay? And Peter's writing, if you go back into 1 Peter chapter 1, he's writing to house churches that are scattered all over the place. And these people are receiving this letter, and they probably would have read it in uh, context, which means they read the whole thing at one shot. But Peter's already talked about the authority in chapter 2, verse 13, and now he's going to talk to servants. Okay, So look at verse 18. He says, he says, servants there, and you can circle that because we need to understand what that meant to this audience that is present. A servant, all right, is the word slaves, and that carries a negative connotation in our society. But um, here in the text, 
Peter would have understood and his audience would have understood that slaves were more people who worked for somebody else in their homes. All right? So it has the employer-employee status kind of to it. All right? This was commonplace of what's transpiring in the Roman world. And what happened here is these servants all right, uh, really weren't undereducated or under... Um, uh, uh, accomplished people. You had Greek doctors that were slaves. You had um, people who managed estates. So the things that were entrusted to their care were big. Now, there was harsh slavery back then. Have anybody seen the movie Gladiator, for example? Um, those were slaves. They went out and they participated in gladiator-type events for the entertainment of people, and um, a lot of them were killed in action in that spot, or there were mines where people had uh, slavery within the mines, and they had to kind of go through all of that, and that was harsh. But here, Peter's talking about people who were slaves to somebody mostly in the home. So these people would go to people's houses, they would manage their estates, and they would have the opportunity to have a master, and he's going to talk about that here, over them. Now, this master was going to be one of two things. He was going to be somebody who was really, really good. And, and honestly, a lot of these times, these were believers, and they were godly individuals, and they treated people with dignity and respect. But there were masters who were also kind of rough and harsh, and they would be really cruel to their slaves. They brand them and beat them, and there was a lot of things that transpired there. Now, we would equate that to employers today. We would say some of us who have bosses, our bosses are really good, godly individuals. They point back to the Lord. They're doing amazing things. And you would look at it in your workplace and say, yeah, my boss is a good guy, right? And if you own your own company, you say, yeah, my boss is awesome, right? <clears throat> but we also know some of our bosses aren't that great, right? They make conditions harsh for us. Specifically, in today's society, we're going to see that lived out. Now, slaves could kind of have what we call a side hustle, or they could make money on the side, and they could free themselves, all right? So as they uh, worked to free themselves, they could be out from underneath the authority of their master. But the crazy thing was, a lot of times when a slave went free, they would get slaves. So they would become the master, all right? And, and um, slave owners, these masters, they would essentially release people who were getting up in age so they didn't have to take care of them in their old age, all right, so they would, they would let them go. So you have some of these people who are reading this letter, and they're sitting here, and they're slaves. They understood this. They're household servants or workers who are going out, and they're managing these estates and doing the things that these people wanted, and they receive this letter. Now, <clears throat> look what Peter says, all right? Chapter 2, verse 13. He says, servants, all right, be subject for the Lord's sake, this is verse 13, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish. We already preached this, all right? But I'm going to keep going because it ties into the rest of our passage. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Skip down to 18. So servants, all right, understanding authority that's been placed over you, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle ones, but to also the unjust ones. Now, if you're reading that in Peter's time, you're going, first of all, you tell us to submit to wicked, cruel leadership. Now you're moving into wicked, cruel masters. Does this ever stop? Does this ever cease? Continue that verse on. He says, for this is a gracious thing because you're mindful of God and you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
All right. Now, it's hard to get a read here on whether or not the Bible condones or condemns slavery. And numerous authors in the text don't speak to that. They just say that this is an, this is an institution that exists. And if you're reading that and you heard Peter say that in that very first verse, here's three things that would pop up. Number one, you knew the world was coming to an end soon, and when that happened, the whole social system, including slavery, will end. Now, don't go to your job tomorrow, all right, and look at your boss and say, hey, when this whole thing ends, guess what? You're over. It's done, all right? Peter says, no, you can't have that attitude, all right? Number two, they understood, though, that while the movement was small, they shouldn't revolt. It happens. People are employed. They had employers. This is how it was. And they weren't called to revolt. So be really careful in gathering all the other fellow employees, all right, and saying, hey, we're going to overthrow the boss. Like, you want to be careful with that too, all right? And third thing was that the biblical authors, and this, is, I think, is the biggest thing, were not concerned with the social ethics that were taking place, but they were more concerned about a believer's way of life. They didn't look at society and say, society should tell us how we should act. No, they say we should act all the time the same way, and that should be like Christ. We should live like Christ. All right? So the first command here, chapter 2, verse 18, is to respect your master. All right? The command here is to respect your master. That's the underlying command. Servants, household slaves, submit, be subject, which carries the idea of recognition. Yes, I have an employer or I am an employer. Be subordinate to that person and then be obedient to the Lord. So as far to say, I don't know what that was. That was a lot of words that just flew out of my mouth that didn't make any sense. <laughs> as long as, let's go that, uh, that they do not tell you to disobe disobey the Lord. All right, circle that word masters. Peter's command here isn't just to believers, but it's to respect them who were also harsh. It's easy to submit to somebody who is a good boss. It's more difficult to submit to somebody who's a hard boss. Amen? Super easy. When your boss points you back to Jesus and he loves you and he takes care of you and man, he puts things into, into place that make your job easy, walk in the park. Peter says that's easy, but let's talk about when things get difficult. When your boss isn't somebody who loves the Lord, how are you supposed to to be loyally obedient to somebody who is crooked. Well, first thing is you're called to respect them. That's the end part of 18. That's the same word from where we get fear or phobos, a paranoia. Speaking to believers, you should approach your boss the same way that you approach God, with reverence and understanding that his position is in place because God has allowed it to happen and transpire. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. Just as much as he placed your boss in authority over you, so you too are underneath his authority and or her authority, and you are called to be loyal and cooperate as much as possible and obedient as long as they're calling you not to sin. So the underlying command in Scripture is, those of us who are employed, all right? You are called and commanded to obey your boss. Be subject to them as long as they're not calling and commanding you to sin against what God's word says. That's the underlying command. You respect them. Paul said the same thing in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Why? Because you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as you serve your employer, you are serving the Lord. Just like we talked last week, when you are going 55, you're obeying the law and you're worshiping the Lord as you obey that law. So here you are obeying the Lord as you obey your employer. Now, employers, be very careful, okay, how you conduct yourself in your place of business because if you're in a position from God, you need to make sure that you're radiating back to God. All right? Like Paul, there's no condemning or uh, condoning slavery here. It's just the system that is in place. And Paul says, in living within the system, you need to change it by transforming lives, by being like Jesus. So he gives two reasons how this is possible in the workplace, okay? Number one, let's go to verse 19. He says, For this is a gracious thing. What's a gracious thing? When you're subject to your masters with all respect, because you are enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, For what credit is it If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What is he saying? All that to say that when you respect your master, even one who is harsh or one who is good, you are showing God's grace. The first reason that he gives here for us who are employed from other people is when we respect that position, we're showing God's grace. He says, be mindful of God in unjust suffering. What does that mean? Mindful of God means to be conscious of God. So when believers suffer, all right, when you and I suffer at work, all right, you're, you're in your uh, place of employment and you're going through hardships, first thing that you remember is that God loves and cares for you while you're going through that suffering. He is concerned about your suffering. So you think about it when you're at the workplace and you say, man, God doesn't care about me. These conditions are harsh. I can't believe I'm being forced to wear a mask. I can't believe that all these things are transpiring in our community here in this place. This makes no sense. You look at it and say, listen, I'm suffering. God understands and he knows and he cares and he's concerned. That's encouraging. Then he goes on to say, when you suffer injustice, you have to remember that Christ suffered injustice. So, You're thinking about it at work. You're like, hey, Jesus suffered. Guess what? I suffer too. And look at the person who's next to you on the line or wherever your place of employment is in the next cubicle. And you say, hey, guess what? Jesus suffered too. He wants you to be mindful of those things when you're going through hardships. And it's not just work hardships. It could be any hardships. We're mindful of the fact that we suffer because Christ suffered. And we know, number three, that one day God is going to right all wrongs. And that gives us great encouragement, doesn't it? And one day, God's going to make all of this right. Now, Peter knew this because he watched Jesus firsthand. I love this. Peter isn't speaking from somebody who is totally oblivious to what has transpired. He knew that Jesus suffered as a part of God's plan. All right? Go way back into Matthew 16. You don't have to go there. But it says, Jesus showed his disciples that he must suffer many things. Luke says that it was necessary that Christ should suffer Because it's part of God's plan. It's part of God's plan that Jesus would suffer. Then it says Jesus had to suffer to save people. So the Son of Man, it says, Matthew 20, came to seek and save those who are lost to give his life for a ransom for many. Matthew 26 says, His blood covenant was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now, don't lose this. 
If Jesus suffered as a part of God's plan to help save people, he also looks at us and he says, believers who follow me must be prepared to suffer as well. Whoa. You have to be prepared to suffer as well. Mark 8 says, if anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, Peter's going to expand on this in chapter 3, verse 14, all right? So we're not going to spend a great amount of time of that. But if you were reading this in this time period, that would have helped change your attitude and perception of what is transpiring right in front of your face. It would have radically changed how you persevere in the workforce. It would have radically changed how you see things that are coming at you. It is a commendable and praiseworthy thing when believers trust in God while enduring pain that is caused by unjust suffering. If Jesus suffered, we suffer. Okay? Now, the question on the table is, why do we suffer? You get this all the time. Teenagers ask this all the time. Why do we suffer? Why do we have pain? Why does pain come into our life? I'll give you two reasons. Number one, you sin. It's your sin. You welcome this upon yourself, okay? All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. That means because we have sinned, we welcome suffering, okay? So you might be suffering, ready for this? Because of your own sin. Like, I know that's really, really hard. There's sometimes, I'll talk to guys, they're at work, their workplace is hard, and I'll look at them, I'll say, hey, are you being disobedient? Kinda. Okay, so do you think in your disobedience it's making your job easier or uh, Harder. Harder. Right? Okay, so whose fault is it? It's your fault. All right? They don't like that, so they leave. Okay? Now, they like the second reason better than the first reason. You know what the second reason is? Because other people sin. Okay? So we struggle and suffer in our lives because somebody else's sin. And there's some people who are sitting here this morning. Those of you online, you're nodding your head. You're like, I know his name. His name's Tim. All right? I understand exactly who you're talking about. I always struggle at work because of him or her. And Peter says to us that that's part of living in a fallen world. It's validation to the gospel that we have received. Peter tells us that much suffering comes from a result, oftentimes, not only from our sin and somebody else's sin, but ready for this? For doing the right thing. You ever suffered for doing the right thing? You ever done something right at work, and then all of a sudden you you think about it, and you go, wait, I did the right thing, but I'm suffering for it. Jesus did the right thing. He suffered. So Peter looks at us, he says, listen, we're all suffered. Jesus never sinned, yet he suffered so that we could be set free. And when we follow Christ's example, we may suffer, but our goal shouldn't be to sulk in it. It should be to face suffering as he did, with patience, with calmness, and with confidence in the fact that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he is going to do. Believers who patiently endure suffering from our own sin or somebody else's sin or even from doing good are obedient to God and have the ability to be patient rather than lashing out in revenge and hates. And it demonstrates God's grace to the world. When you are patient in suffering, you're demonstrating God's grace. Okay? So he looks at us and he says, hey, number one, you have to understand as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're showing God's grace. Now he continues. All right, let's keep going. He says the second reason is in verse 21. Command, verse 18, be subject. Reason one, showing God's grace. Reason two, for to this you have been, what's it say? You've been called. Whoa. You have been called to suffer. But look at this. 
because Christ has also suffered for you. He didn't leave you without an example. He left you as an example so that when you might follow in his steps, he commanded no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, speaking of Jesus, verse 24, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to our sins and live to righteousness. That's good news. We forget that. And by his wounds, you have been healed. 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I forgot the kids weren't in here anymore. So reason number two in that whole 21 through 25. Ready for this? Not only are you showing God's grace, but you're modeling Jesus in your suffering. Don't miss this. As believers, we're always striving to model Christ, whether it's a stay-at-home parent or the person in the workforce. And Peter says it's the calling for doing good. Remember, Jesus looked at Peter in the face, eye to eye, physical contact, looked at Peter, and he said, Peter, no servant is greater than his master. At the Last Supper, Peter locks eyes with Jesus, and he says, if I suffer, what's the rest? You're going to suffer. Jesus is just full of good news, right? Like every time I read the Gospels, he's just full of good news that oozes out of him, but he tells it like it is, because he wants you to experience joy and peace in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 21. Look at his example. When believers suffer injustice, we're following Jesus' example. He suffered great injustice to obtain our salvation. How do we know? Ready for this? I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of the Gospels. This is how Jesus suffered. He went to his people and they rejected him. He had a trial by religious leaders who were already bent on crucifying him. Like he couldn't win that trial. There's no way he could win that trial. He underwent lies from his people, Matthew chapter 26 tells us. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was flogged from his people and from Roman soldiers. He bore excruciating pain of death on a cross. And to make matters worse, while he's hanging on the cross and he's dying on the cross, what's happening? People are throwing and insulting him with insults. They're saying, if you are Jesus the Messiah, save yourself. If you're the king of the world, save yourself. While he's dying on the cross, people are throwing and hurling insults at him. And then to make matters worse, when you think nothing else could be worse than this, God himself looks at it and he says, I will place the sins of the world on your shoulders. And Jesus cries out in pain. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, so Jesus goes through all this suffering. And ready for this? He is experiencing separation from God. And your suffering is and never will be greater than Jesus's, but God still cares about it. Wrap your mind around that. that. Your suffering is and never will be greater than what Christ experienced, and yet God is still adamantly concerned about what is opposing you. Isn't that amazing? That's riveting to me. That God looks at me, small, little, tiny, puny Jordan, and he says, I still care about what you're going through. And what do I want you to do? Look, verse 21 and 22 and 23. I want you to follow in my steps. Now, we've been having this conversation, staff and ministry heads lately, and we've been talking about this. 
about what does it look like for spiritual maturity? Like, what does it look like? Think about it just for a minute. What does it look like somebody who's spiritually mature? What does that look like? Uh, they, they go to church, and they're in a small group, and they're plugged into men's and women's ministry both. Okay? And uh, they're at the church every day. You know, we kind of run this list. Here's what I'm coming back to over and over again. The spiritually mature person looks at the Gospels, watches Jesus, and follows everything he does. That's it. What does Jesus say over and over again? Follow me. Guy comes up to him, he says, I got a lot of possessions. He says, sell them all, follow me. Guy comes up to him, he says, I have no possessions. He's like, follow me. Right? He follows in his footsteps. Now, here's the thing. I love this, man. This is like a light bulb moment for Pastor Jordan, all right? When he uses the word example there, it's very similar to a model of handwriting that was set up by masters for their pupils to, co- to, to copy. It'd be like teaching kids the lost art of cursive. Okay? And some of you who are grandparents out there are like, oh, preach, preach, right? And you take your paper and you take your pen or pencil and pencil if you're an older generation, and you write out in cursive, okay? Then you look at the student and you say, trace it. Remember tracing? Tracing was plagiarism, all right? But that's okay. Like, you're allowed to do that in tracing. And as they trace over and over again, they do it over and over again, and then the the ink gets thicker and thicker and thicker, and then all of a sudden, you take away what they're tracing, and you say, okay, you do it. And what do they do? They do it. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying Christ gave you an example of how to face injustice and persecution so that you would do the same. You would trace his steps. Maturity is tracing Jesus' steps. Now, Peter knows that we're dense, and he gives you two examples. Number one, he gives you two examples of what Jesus did specifically in regards to facing injustice. Number one is in verse 22, and he's going to quote Isaiah 53. When he suffered, he had no sin or deceit in his mouth, and neither should you. Peter quotes Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 53, and he says, he committed no sin and he spoke no lies. And in John 19, we see that Pilate saw this. Isn't that a great passage of scripture? Pilate looks at Jesus, and they're having a great conversation, and he says, I find no wrong in you. I think Pilate saw Jesus' truth. He's like, you're it, man, but I can't call you it because I'll be crucified too as well. And so Jesus knows it, and he doesn't say anything. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says it. He says, your old self is known for anger and lies when injustice happens. Now pause for a second here, church, because this is huge for us. This is like a catalytic event for us as a church. If I look at this text and I realize that I'm a person who gives sin a foothold in regards to anger, and if I'm a person who has to get that word in and who has to speak that last word, then maybe, just maybe, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Whoa. Because Paul says your old self is known for that, your new self is known for being in Christ, and when you get angry, which you will... You don't sin in your anger and give the opportunity for anger to harvest other emotions like pride and hate. Instead, you give that over to God and let him deal with it. How many times do we do that in our life? Go back to poor Tim, right? Tim, I'm going to get you, right? 
And God is just as concerned with us in our public communication with the person when they're present as much as he's concerned with the words you say when they leave. So, that person who's in your life, okay, who stresses you out and drives you crazy and causes you anxiety and makes you want to sin, don't sin. You just sit there and you look at him and say, I'm going to let God deal with this in his time. My job as a believer is to show you grace, and my job as a believer is to model Christ. Stumble towards that finish line. That's tough, right? So the first thing is, have no sin, deceit in your mouth. The second thing that Peter tells us is in verse 23, don't retaliate or threaten. It's so fun. (laughs) Right? Man, I'm going to get you. Isaiah 53, here's the direct quote. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was a lamb who was led to the slaughter. He was like a sheep before its shears and was silent. He didn't open his mouth. If you circle that word reviled, it's the word abuse. That means that Jesus underwent abusive speech. That means that Jesus went through insults. People insulted him. And he didn't open his mouth. He never returned the abuse. He never threatened the abuse. Instead, he continued. Now, here's the thing. Don't miss this in the text. He continued, verse 23, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Not a one-time action, a daily entrusting. See, I think sometimes what happens is we give God the one time, but we don't give him the next time or the next time or the next time. This is dependency. You tracking? This is being dependent upon God. This is daily, minute by minute, second by second sometimes, dying to ourselves and saying, I entrust that you, Lord, are going to, at the proper time, put everything in the right place. That word entrusted there is a verb that is imperfect, meaning that it wasn't a one-time act, but that it is a keeping of entrusting that Jesus set an example for, so we'll do the same. And sometimes, straight up, you just got to do this verbally, right? I hear sometimes just out of my mouth, I'm like, God's going to deal with this. People are like, I'm sorry, what? Nothing. Nope, didn't say it. Those two things, to have no sin or deceit in your mouth and not retaliate or threaten, is to follow Jesus. And in that following, he says you'll have complete peace and trust. You'll have complete peace and trust. Now there's one thing that comes out here that's amazing. And that's in verse 24. There's one thing that we can't do that Jesus did. While we can model Jesus, we cannot do what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He bore the sins of many, and by His wounds we are healed. Only Christ Himself, the sinless Son of God, could bear our sins on the cross. Only Christ can take the penalty for sin because he was a perfect man and a perfect God. Only Christ could die in our place. Only Christ can offer the opportunity for people to get through suffering properly. It is a transaction that you cannot comprehend that he would die on the cross for me. Ravi Zacharias, a a phenomenal um, we would call him an apologist, uh, evangelist, um, just died. My dad always used to say, don't, don't say people went to go be with the Lord, they died, right? 
And if you look at it in the text, he's right, and people die. And so he died, and then I would carry on the sentence. I would say, and then he went to be with the Lord. Right? That's called compromise. Um, and uh, it was interesting. We read this passage in verse 24, and we think to ourselves, man, like, that's, that's amazing. Do you know how Ravi Zacharias got, got saved? Do you know how he came to trust Christ? He read the book of Romans. Tried to kill himself as a teenager, ended up in the hospital. There was a Bible that was sitting next to him. He opened up the Bible. He started reading it. Did you know that people can still get saved by reading the Bible? That's amazing. We try so hard, don't we? We try to get people to come to know Jesus, and we try to tell them the gospel, and we articulate it, and we fall flat on our faces when we should just hand them over the text. Here, read this. I'll read it with you. But it's amazing that Ravi knew this. Do you know this? That God placed the sins of the world on Jesus Christ so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter says, by his wounds you have been healed. And it is only through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you can experience this new life. If I don't have Jesus in my life, I'm going to retaliate every time. I don't have Jesus in my life, I'm going to threaten every time. I don't have Jesus in my life, I'm going to sin every time. But here it says, no, no, no. We have an unbroken fellowship with God and you are free from sin's hold. You are dead to sin. Amen? That's just good news. You're dead to sin. Why do we stop preaching this as a church? We tell people all the time who they are instead of what they are not. You're not that way. You don't have to do that. You're in Christ. Believers no longer need to live underneath sin's power. You're free to live as Christ. And the preacher does that a disservice because he stops quoting Scripture. So Galatians 2, verse 19. Now listen to this. For I, through the law, have died to the law. Why? So that I might live to God. Say this about yourself. If you can. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life in which I now live in the flesh, right now, in this time where I'm at, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And while he suffered in ways that I could never even possibly imagine, he is still concerned about my suffering. But he wants me to turn my suffering into an opportunity for somebody to see God's grace as well as see Christ's model so that those people who are far from God would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through faith. And so those who are believers would look at that and they would be edified and encouraged and they would grow. Can you imagine seeing this at your workplace tomorrow? Wouldn't that be amazing? You look back and you go, man, you are full of God's grace and a model of Christ. What a high compliment that would be. Submission is voluntarily cooperating with somebody, first out of the love and respect for God, and then second out of the love and respect for that person. For believers, submitting to non-believers is difficult, but it is vital in part of leading them to Jesus. One commentator says, we're not called to submit to non-believers to the point that we compromise our relationship with God through faith in Christ. We must look for every opportunity to humbly serve in the power of God's Spirit. Four quick things. Submission is one, functional. It distinguishes our roles and the work we're called to do. Number two, 
It is relational. It is the acknowledgement of another's value as a person. Number three, it is reciprocal. It is mutual and humble cooperation with somebody else. And four, it is universal. It is the acknowledgement by the church of an all-encompassing lordship of Jesus Christ. I didn't write that. It's true. So what are we supposed to do? If you're experiencing hardship at work, okay? First of all, if you have a hard boss, all right? Understand that Christ also suffered and he's concerned about that. Show God's grace to them. Model Christ well. If you have a good boss, tomorrow you go to work and you look at that boss and you say, hey, I just want to say thank you. Man, just pour it out to him. That you are a great model of what it means to be like Christ and you show God's grace to us all the time. I just appreciate that. Now, if you're an employer, okay? It's a God word, it's not mine. And you're making life rough for your employees. Be concerned, all right? You need to model as an employer what it looks like to have God's grace and be like Jesus. You're a leader, lead. And those of us who are employers who are doing a good job, you can always do better. And I think you know that. And God looks at us and he says, I want you to be like Christ. I want you to trust Christ with every single step, whether you're employer or an employee. And so the joy of the Lord can be found through suffering because he's shown us what to do. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> God, thanks for your word and your truth. Um, not easy. Matter of fact, super difficult. And before we go any further... Um, the offering on the table is a relationship with you through faith. And if you are sitting here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's step number one. It's to confess that you're a sinner and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The day is soon approaching where God is coming back and He'll take us to be home. The Lord's return is going to happen. And when eternity comes, my plea for you is that you would know Jesus Christ as Savior. And that you would experience what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. That you would plead to the Lord today and just say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I trust Christ as my Savior. I want a relationship with you and He'll do it. And if you make that decision today, come find me. I want to talk to you about that. But those of us who are here, who are believers, life is rough sometimes, God, and it hurts. And we don't know why um, at times. And so we ask whether we're an employer or an employee, regardless of it's in a building that is outside of our home or if it's in our home, that we would model well what God's grace is like. And also, God... Um, that we would be great models of Christ who gives us an example. Maybe we model his steps well and trace his steps well so that those who are far from you would come to know you and so that those who do know you would be encouraged and that we would continue to build um, your church until you call us home. All God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, 
simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.